This episode of the YVR Screen Scene Podcast is sponsored by the Union of British Columbia Performers. UBCP is an autonomous branch of the Alliance of Canadian Cinema, Television, and Radio Artists. For more about UBCP Actra, visit ubcp.com. That's ubcp.com. Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. I'm your host, Sabrina Ferminger. My mission is to pull back the curtain on Vancouver's film and television industry and expose its beating heart, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom style, by getting deep and down and a little dirty with the actors and filmmakers and other talented artists who do the work. Capital T, capital W. Today, I am delighted to welcome Viv Leacock to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. I first interviewed Viv back in 2015, and it was during that first interview that he told me that he didn't introduce himself as an actor, despite his impressive list of acting credits, which at that point included Freddy vs. Jason, 2012, and one of my favorite homegrown indie comedies of all time, the exploitation film Bad City. And he also told me that he didn't introduce himself as a stand-up comedian, despite the years he'd spent making people laugh on the comedy club circuit. Viv clearly wasn't big on labels, but if he had to be introduced as something, and even back then, I insisted because I had to describe him somehow, Viv told me that he wanted to be called an entertainer. Viv went on to tell me that he learned a lot about entertaining in his family, as well as during the four months he spent working side by side with one of his idols, Mr. Eddie Murphy, on 2002's I Spy. In recent years, this entertainer has gained legions of fans around the world for two very different but equally entertaining roles, as Fincher Garland on the Haley Dean mystery movie starring icon Kelly Martin. I totally watch Life Goes On and I think she's fantastic. And as Grips, a member of a quartet of bonkers vampires known as the Rowdy Three. Think about that math for a second. A quartet of bonkers vampires known as the Rowdy Three on BBC America's cult favorite series, Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency. So I described you as, or frankly, you described yourself back in 2015 as an entertainer. Yeah. You really kind of rejected me pinning any kind of label on you. And then when I insisted, I remember you were like, I'm, I'm not an actor. I'm not a stand-up. I am a hybrid. I am an entertainer. Does That's that right. still hold true? That still rings true. Okay. Um, um, only in that um, acting wasn't my first love. <gasps> I love acting, but comedy, my first love. Yeah. And, and I don't even know if it was particularly stand-up comedy because, um, first of all, excuse, pardon my voice because I'm getting over something, something where my voice is, is deciding to make me sound like I was 15 again. I don't know. I think it's, it's cracking. Your voice is very, it's got the vocal fry. It's, <laughs> yeah, got, it's, got, some. it's got all that stuff going yeah. on. But, um, um, <laughs> yeah. I fell in love with storytelling mm. very early on because uh, my father, my, my, my parents are, are West Indian. My, my parents are from Trinidad. 
So you grew up in Montreal, right? I did. I was born in Montreal. You're born in Montreal. Yeah. I feel I, like we did have this conversation yeah, four years ago because I, I am always reaching out. If I like recognize, like, like, oh, you're a Montrealer. Well, yeah. you're a Montrealer. I was because I was born. You're there, born there. But I was only there. Okay. okay. Funny story. So <laughs> we're going right to the comedy. We're going right back and the storytelling. Story. <laughs> so my parents, my parents um, met in New York City. Oh, that's where they were both at the time. And uh, see, um, my timing is, I guess, I guess it's always been good because uh, I decided that I should be born two months before I was supposed to be. Oh, and uh, while my parents were away from New York in Montreal for the weekend. Oh, yeah, I decided to. Uh, you wanted to be Canadian. Be Canadian. So I decided to show up a little early. So my my Montreal, <clears throat> my time in Montreal was spent in incubator. That was what I was doing. Oh, yeah, it's okay. I'm here. Yeah, I made it. <laughs> you made but, it. But that's what I was doing in Montreal. So so New York, uh, that was my early my early days. Yeah, in New York. And then we came here. My father got a job offer in Los Angeles and in. New in sorry and in Vancouver yeah and he decided to come check out Vancouver first because he hadn't been to Vancouver yeah and you know this is this is early eighties and y'all can't see me but I'm very dark and <laughs> and um, <laughs> the world is actually interestingly enough just like it is now it's um we've actually done this kind of. 360 back to the same point mm. the way people were treating people that looked like me back in the day uh, back in the 80s so <sighs> we my father came here took a look around and basically was like this is safer for my kids and so he accepted the job here oh okay turned down the one in Los Angeles and at first I have to say uh, my brother and I weren't very impressed with that decision. Yeah, that. how old were you guys? My brother's older. My brother was in his teens. I we're was, talking about your brother, my brother also Richard, an actor, Richard Leacock. Richard yes. Leacock. Yeah, he was he was like high schooler. I was in grade school still, um, but uh, it, yeah, it 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 was tough in that. There are not a lot of black people in Vancouver. Yeah. Now. Especially then, yeah, and uh, and so had you. I'm sorry, but like, so the school that you had gone to, mm -hmm. the schools, the education that you'd had in New York, the school system. Yeah, you were you were not oh, the only no. black no. child there. No, 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 no. Yeah, surrounded by black people. Yeah, and Hispanic. Were they were all like, but that he's Canadian? <laughs> no, because no one knew. That was no, because literally we we were only in Montreal as long as it took for me to get out of the hospital. Yeah, so it wasn't it wasn't like a thing. Um, unfortunately, there was some family that lived there, so my mom my mom stayed. She was able to convalesce a little be bit. Be with me. Kind of yeah. Um, so, but then you, so you come up here though. Yeah. So tell me about that experience. Then you guys enter the school system. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A lot of racism. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a lot of kids got hurt. I'm gonna say that right now. Yeah. Um, it's actually kind of interesting because the reason I actually became this guy, and then you said earlier, I'm, you know, nice guy, but I'm, I'm, I actually have a really good filter. Mm. That's really my thing because 
because of a comedic mind, the first place I go when someone says something is to a it's to a joke, and that joke might not be the nicest thing. It just it might not be the nice thing. Like in my mind, yeah. I go there. I go to the joke. So it's not the joke isn't necessarily to like to disarm the person or anything. Because sometimes, I mean, I remember being bullied for other reasons and you, trying to use like comedy to like yeah. you know don't like oh we're all gonna laugh and you yeah. know don't like let's just laugh instead of hurt me. Right. No. You know? I mean, but, I mean, like if someone says something, if you if you put your foot in your mouth, let's just say for instance, I'm I'm on it. Right as you do it, I heard it. Maybe someone else in the room that we're talking to didn't quite catch. Yeah. But I already, I'm, I'm, I'm already there with like three jokes that I could say. Mm. But the filter is like, don't say that. That's what I'm saying. It's like the comedic mind is that thing. Yeah. Is that y- your mind is working so much faster, or this is what you feel anyway. You feel like your brain is working a lot faster than people around you. Yeah. Because. You're, you're quick it's the you know when you say someone's quick witted it's that thing yeah but but in order to to be deemed a nice guy if you have that quick wit you have to have a really good filter mm. you just have to there's lots of stuff that I will think but I do not say and I think everybody needs to practice that a little bit more yeah you know? but I'm very grateful to you if you just say everything here oh, yeah. today oh you hear everything, everything <laughs> I want to say let's hear. take the filters off <laughs> um, do you oh there's so much to unpack there I don't even oh, yeah. know where I want to start there's because like there's part of me that's like I want to talk more about your childhood and you know growing up what you want to be and then the other part of me just like wants to get into like how do you think Canadians are when we talk about race I mean because this has been a huge issue in our I mean mm-hmm. right now we are in the midst of our election mm-hmm. cycle and our prime minister mm-hmm. uh, we just discover <laughs> that he really really is loved he being in brown face and black face yeah you know and I I'd say, but in it's also been really interesting to see how, um, especially white Canadians, you know, uh, mm-hmm. have a really hard time talking about this, mm-hmm. and how they've just very eager to like move yeah, on from just, it. Let's just yeah. move, move on to something else. Yeah. So yeah. like so you know and so you know growing up in Canada, being yeah. the only you know black kid. Yeah. A lot of times, one of two or three. Yeah. Whatever school I was in. Yeah. So like how like how do you think that we we do as Canadians when we talk about race? You know, it's it's a it's an interesting thing because people are kind of walking around to a large degree in um in a in a strange bubble when it comes to and I can't even include like East Coast Canada because there's way more people from the Caribbean on the East Coast. Yeah. Right, because it's just closer, which is why a lot of people from the Caribbean they don't come across this far because it's harder to get back home. Yeah. So they're like, I'm not going to go that far. Um, so <clears throat> Vancouver in general is its own little thing, its own little bubble. People will talk about how Vancouver is very multicultural, but it actually isn't. Yeah. There are places, again, you go you go east, and, and it's it's a lot more multicultural. Cause, and, it's not, and it's not because people aren't friendly or aren't inviting it's just that we really haven't been around each other. A lot of different people haven't been around each other for a very long time. It yeah. just hasn't happened. People are still getting used to it. Now you have other places in the world where people have been mixed for so long and they're the ones that are 
creating the narrative like this is what it is yeah this is how it is to live with these different people so it's i kind of look i kind of look at liken it to um the grizzlies basketball franchise that came to vancouver okay i'm really curious to see where you're going with this okay so grizzlies came here what was that 95 or something like that i wasn't here yet yeah all right so we got a they were already gone by the time I think you know I got saying? here. Yeah. So we got a we got an NBA basketball team, and so did Toronto. Okay, now yeah. look what happened in Toronto. And, Hashtag We the North, right? And <laughs> why isn't there still a basketball team here? Because people here didn't know how to cheer for bas- a basketball team from Vancouver. Yeah, people were so used to cheering for basketball teams from other places that they it just didn't it didn't click. Yeah, this is a hockey town. I would say this is even a footballer's town, like a soccer town yeah. to a degree. But mostly this is a hockey town. Again, the population base didn't support a basketball franchise. It yeah. just didn't. There was no representation here before the franchise got here. I knew plenty of guys that could play ball in the NBA here, but they didn't. It, the, the packaging just didn't look like it does in Toronto. Yeah, it's a thing. You just got way more brothers, right? So, <laughs> so, so, it's kind of the same thing with race relations in Vancouver. It's like if there's not enough people to represent a certain thing, people really have no idea how to treat you. Yeah, and the way that my father, my brother, and I got treated in the '80s in Vancouver was based off of nothing that we'd done. Mm. It was solely based off of anything and everything that you saw coming out of the U.S. Yeah. Because back in the 80s, brothers were the worst people on the planet. Brothers were blamed for every crime, everything that happened. Oh, my gosh. Reagan and Bush were huge on vilifying the blackmail. Blackmail. Description of the person involved. Blackmail. Blackmail between the ages of 6 and 87. They're literally looking for anybody that you fit the description. You know how many times my father and my brother heard that? You fit the description. You fit the description of someone who did something. I'm like, how could we? There's five of us here. How are we fitting into the description of anybody that's doing anything wrong? No. You got a cop who saw blackface yeah. and wanted to mess with that person. My father and my brother had countless stories of being harassed by the police. Yeah. And it's to the point where <clears throat> Again, because I'm I'm six years younger than my brother, so I was coming up a little bit behind him, which is a thing that kind of kept me safe. But, but when I was about seventeen, this is a story I'll never forget. Seventeen years old, hanging on a street downtown Vancouver called Robson Street, which was a popular hangout for kids at the time. Yeah, it was back before <clears throat> social media. That was our social media. We yeah, up on a, <laughs> we actually we saw up, each other. Yeah, we saw each other. <laughs> we went and like, hey man, what are you up to? <clears throat> so we would meet up on the strip and talk, you know, and catch up and stuff. This one particular night, uh, I get down to the sh- get down to Robson Street, and my man, Daniel Bacon, another brother in town. Oh. Yeah. Right? Yeah, we go way back. <laughs> wow, okay. Yeah, yeah, we go way back. So my man, Daniel Bacon, comes up to me, and he's like, he's like, yo, they're giving tickets for loitering to the black guys only. Okay, there are tons of everybody yeah. of every ethnic background on the street. And I don't mean on the street like in where the cars are, I mean like on the sidewalk. Hanging out like kids do. Yeah. 
So I'm aware that this is happening. And uh, coincidentally, the craziest thing, that very day, it was a Friday that this happened. For, for some reason, that Friday afternoon, I, myself and a couple of my friends were talking to um, our police constable, the guy who was the cop at our school. Yeah. Really nice guy. And I said, you know what? Let me ask you something. Just because just just I should know, what are my rights if the cops are harassing me? What, what can I say? What can they do? What can they not do? And he laid it out for me. He's like, all right, this is what's up. And he's just like, first of all, they can't do this. And he just laid it out, what they can and cannot do. So I have this. I'm armed with that information from... Just from a few hours from previous. a few hours previous. Yeah. From an, a really nice guy, really nice cop in town who just laid it out for me. And so now cut back to, you know, knowing that the cops are handing out tickets to just the brothers in town. So I'm standing with a group of friends, and we are all, all standing on the sidewalk. This is late. This is like after hours. Businesses are closed. Yeah. Nobody's, we're not stopping anybody from getting into a business. Yeah. And the tickets they're giving out are for loitering. Okay, so I see... I'm talking to some friends, and out of the corner of my eye, peripheral vision, because brothers develop peripheral vision. <laughs> you have to. You have you to. Have to. You have to. You have to. Um, and I see two police officers coming, and I clock that it's an older white gentleman and a younger um, white lady. And uh, I see them coming through the crowd. So they're not, like, walking straight. They're zigzagging because they have to get around people. Yeah. Get around, come around, come around, come around, come around, straight to me. Mm-hmm. And I even backed up. I saw them, and I even backed up from the sidewalk to to in front of a storefront to get out of the way. I came through the crowd of non-black faces to me. Let us see some ID. Straight to me. And I now I know... I know they need to have probable cause to ask me anything. Yeah. I'm not doing anything. If nothing's happened, then why are you talking to me? So they said, let us see some ID. And I'm saying, why? Because we want to see some ID. For what reason? There's nothing happening here. So you can tell me why. There ha- you have to tell me why you need to see my ID or else I don't need to show you. Because we want to see your ID. I said, well, I don't have any. Oh, well, then you're going to jail, is what they say. And they proceed to come and start putting their hands on both my wrists. And then I'm like, well, hang on a second. I have some ID. I'm like, I have my high school ID. You want to see that? Give them my go card, is what they they were called back in the day. I don't know what they're called now. And they look at that and they say, we're giving you a ticket for loitering. I said, you're giving me a ticket for loitering? What about everybody else around you? Are you giving everybody a ticket for loitering? And we get into this thing. And I, of course, I start running down the list of things that I know they're not supposed to. They actually weren't even supposed to put their hands on me. Yeah. Not allowed. I didn't do anything. I didn't present a danger to myself or them or anyone around us. And they already were starting to. Because if I resisted, now they got me. Yeah. So I didn't resist. And that was the one thing the constable said. He said, do not resist if they if they do put their hands on you don't resist because now they have some justifiable reason 
to do what they want to do to you. Oh yeah. And uh, I just made. I was just now. This is where my <clears throat> my love of of Eddie Murphy comes in handy. So Eddie, this is how I'm going to connect Eddie to this story. So Eddie Murphy often would play a character <clears throat> that was very outspoken. He's played characters who are gonna call it like they see it. Mm -hmm. And so that's exactly what I did. I just got really, really loud, very vocal about what was happening. And I started, I proceeded to draw people in to the situation at hand. That I was getting a ticket for loitering standing beside this white gentleman here who's not getting a ticket for loitering. I just made it a really big scene. Yeah. To the point where I'm sure they got a little embarrassed, but still were trying to write the ticket. And they yeah. wrote me the ticket. And I said, I will see you in court because I know my rights and I will see you in court. Yeah. And I said, I have lots of witnesses that have nothing. Anyways, <sighs> I ended up getting a letter in the mail saying, oh, due to the police officer's schedules, they won't be able to make it to court and blah, blah, blah. And all the charges are dismissed and don't worry about the ticket. I got that letter in the mail. And, and <clears throat> yeah, that was, that was, that was a lot of what brothers in town experienced back in the day. Guns pointed at us and just silliness. It, but and it, it, I mean, not know. just back in the day, right? It's continuing That's now. We're saying. hearing about carding still, you That's know, going on all over this country. So, yeah. you yeah. know, to Canadians who think that we're this kind of multicultural yeah. haven, I mean, yeah. it's a nice thought. It is, and it'll get there. <coughs> it'll definitely get there. It's a thing where you put people around each other a long enough time and... Uh, I think if people just really kind of like just got away from thinking that they have some sort of ownership over this place, mm. then people could relax. Nobody's coming here to take your jobs. Nobody's yeah. doing anything of that sort. Because Miles, I hear that. Oh, they're coming and taking our jobs. I'm like, I see people doing a lot of jobs you wouldn't do. Yeah. That's what I see. Absolutely. So if you want to do those jobs, then fine, maybe someone is coming in and you know working for less, but that's not what's going on. Yeah, you know, they're not you're not being undercut. That's not what's going on. Not like you put out a bid and then someone else put out a bid and they took your job. That's not what's going on. Yeah. So yeah, I I just think there's other places in in, in Canada <clears throat> and there's other places around the world that that for me anyway, when when I when I travel, there's people that don't react to me at all. Hmm. Other places that I go. Where are some of those places? Uh, if it's in Canada, Toronto, yeah. Montreal, no one, no big deal. They've been yeah. around black people forever. It's, yeah. it, you know, anybody I know from Montreal, anybody I know from Toronto, they're cool with like West Indian culture. It's part of their culture. It's, oh it's, my gosh. It's woven I in. You Carabana is like one of the hugest events you know every, I mean? every year in Toronto, and right? Everyone knows it and everybody's yeah. cool with it. And when, that is my thing. When people are around each other long enough, they they just, they just go, it's fine. It's no big deal. No big deal. There are bad people within every racial group, every gender group, any which way anybody identifies themselves. There are bad people amongst all those groups of people, all of yeah. us. Nobody, no one group has, you know, all its members are great. Everybody yeah. has something somebody somewhere is going to do something silly so i just think 
we just have to be a little more accepting of each other. Now, you work in an industry uh, mm-hmm. that, um, <laughs> I mean, in a lot of ways has, uh, you know, had a lot of um, racism in yeah. it, you yeah. know, and a lot of, uh, of uh, racists in writers' rooms yeah. uh, pushing forward stereotypes yeah. and, and stuff and do, and complicit in in white supremacy and yeah. pushing those kind of stereotypes so yeah. you know like like, like uh, t- tell me about your entry into the film and television industry and some of those early your early experiences with wow. with that in the industry you like nailed something that's very um very big a very big reason why i am the guy i am now is because i actually first started acting when i was about 17. Mm. <clears throat> I'm and, sorry. Uh, so around the same time when around the same time you were you yes were loitering, quote unquote loitering. You know, I was loitering. Yeah. yeah, I got. I had this audition to play an angry teenager, and I was like, okay, that's easy. <laughs> I got that covered. And uh, yeah, it's method. Up, yeah, no problem. Just walked in with that ticket. Here, look at this. Um, and, uh, oh, we laugh because otherwise we're gonna cry. <laughs> Hell yeah. And um, yeah, I got the part. It was a recurring part on the show called Neon Rider. Oh yeah. Yeah, and. Um, met some great friends, lifelong friends, and uh, um, I was, you know, playing this brother named Elvis. Okay. I was playing a brother named Elvis. Not too many brothers named Elvis, nope. but okay. <laughs> Clearly, I changed their <laughs> mind about which way Elvis was going to go. But uh, <clears throat> um, I did that show for about a year, and then I'm back, back out in the acting scene, auditioning. And Neon Rider was the first thing I ever auditioned for. And it was like, yeah, wow. first thing I first audition, first up to bat, bang, knock it out of the park, get a recurring role, go to work. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I didn't know anything. <laughs> My brother was an actor as well, and he really encouraged me to get into the industry. And again, my thing was stand-up comedy. That was my love, and that's what I wanted to do. But my brother was like, "No, you should really act. I think you, I think you have that." And uh, and uh, so yeah, ended up as fate would have it, ended up getting an agent um, who was a judge at a, at a, a <laughs> he was a judge at a talent contest at my high school where I was singing. Oh. Yes, and, uh, and, and he approached me after the show and he said, you have a lot of stage presence, a lot of charisma, you should consider acting. And so acting just kept coming at me. Yeah. So fine. All Finally right, I had fine. to be like, okay, fine, okay, I'll be an actor. Fine, fine, <laughs> fine, I won't be a comedian. And so did that. I go into thing, you play this cat Elvis for a year, like I said, now I'm back on the audition circuit and um I can't land a part to save my life because I didn't know how to do it right. Yeah. I like lucked out and got the first thing I ever went out for. So I didn't have a lot of a lot of craft, a lot of skill at auditioning, which is a completely different animal than being on set. So the parts that I was going in for, man. Mugger number one. Oh, yeah. Pimp number two. Mugger number three. Pimp number one. Like, all, it was all so stereotypical. Yeah. Drug and dealer. S- drug dealer number seven. Yeah. It was so poorly written. So poorly written. Because nobody in the writer's room looked like me. Yeah. Nobody. And you got these dudes. You got these cats that were, like, writing what I would say with no business trying to write what I would ever say. They've never spoken to never, a black person or ever. black youth before. No, no, 
They never come across a, a brother and like had a conversation with them. They just going off what they see on television with no context. And so we're walking into the audition rooms with horrible scripts, horrible sides. And I'm supposed to try to say this. And one of the, like, I don't want to say it's my downfall, but you ask any actor that knows me. I know a few. It's, it's a <laughs> Some of them have been on the show. You know, it's a it's a entertaining experience to go to see a movie with me oh. or watch a TV show with me because I'm very critical, and I and I don't mean that I'm just a guy who's just throwing out bad stuff to throw it out. I am. I love what we do. I love this this genre and this 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 format of entertainment so much that I don't want anybody coming in with something stupid. Mm. Don't bring anything stupid into this thing. It should, movies and television with big names and big budgets should be beyond reproach. You shouldn't be able to punch a hole mm-hmm. in that storyline. It should It should be impossible given you have this director, this actor, this screenwriter. Get out of here. How How yeah. is there a hole? So... So, so I'm sorry. Let me just text Sharon Taylor and see what it's like to see a movie with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, I'm gonna have something to say. Yeah, I'm gonna have something to say. And so, just like that version, just like this current version of myself, where you know, lots of years of of being in the industry, my brain worked the same way back then. So I would come into to auditions, again, kind of an angry brother, <laughs> and. Coming in with these terrible sides of what to say, and I would just call them out. I'd it'd be a director producer session, and I'd be like, "What does this mean? Can you tell me what this means? What do you think this means?" And I was, I was pissed off. Yeah, I'm like, "This don't mean nothing. No brother in the world would say this." And they'd be like, "Oh, well, how would you say this?" And I would tell them how. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I honestly believe I'm responsible for a lot of rewrites that happen. Okay, I'm good. not even joking. I like would see this stuff later. I wouldn't get the parts, but I'd see it later, and they would change it. They would change stuff, and I'd be like, oh, Lord, this is so, so frustrating. I can imagine so frustrating the toll that that would take on your mental health it as was, well. You yeah. know, the exist, yep. just ex- existing in, you know, racist yeah. Canada, yeah. and then going and trying to, like, build a career, you know, and then you're reading these super racist Terrible, roles. terrible, terribly stereotypical. I'm not saying that there wasn't anybody who was writing uplifting stories about black people back in 1991-92, but but when you're when you're first starting out, you don't get the great roles. Yeah, you don't audition for the great roles. If you're lucky, you do. But it, you know, I I just didn't. So I'm auditioning for the smaller parts. They're just poorly written, and and I'm not big enough yet that I can change stuff. Like I change stuff all the time now. Uh, I have a lot of respect for writers, but I change stuff a lot. So, <laughs> so, and uh, I couldn't do that back then because you're just not allowed to do it. Yeah. And, and so I actually walked away. I walked away from acting for about seven years. I did not act. And what? Where did you walk? I did all types of stuff. I. <clears throat> so that's when stand up came into my life. Yeah. So. Uh, now, um, I can. So we had we had Peter Kalamis in here, and That's he was yep. he was talking a lot about about stand up life 
Hashtag yeah. stand up. I don't even know if it's a hashtag, <laughs> but I, you know, he talked a lot about, you know, the, the journey of, um, of, you know, going into, you know, comedy clubs and working. Mm-hmm. He told me about the bits, yep. <laughs> you know, and developing bit. bits that's, and stuff and, and the kind of lessons that, that he learned. Yeah. So I guess my, I, my question then is two prong one, how did the racism in stand up compare to the racism everywhere else? Mm. And two, like, what did you learn during that time that you were able to bring back to acting because I'm assuming spoiler alert that at some point you go back to acting (laughs) yes yes I do Um, yeah what did I learn from that experience okay this is why this is why there's a reason why I don't call myself an actor and there's a reason why I don't call myself a stand up comedian I don't call myself an actor because and this is (laughs) trust me I love my people I love my actors that's what I do but there's a lot of typical behavior that actors kind of put out there. And there's a lot of that <laughs> behavior that I just don't I just don't subscribe to. I just don't I just don't condone it because I believe a lot of it is because you know <laughs> Can you be specific? Let's talk of, about the specific a, behaviors that you're talking there's, about. There's a lot of look at me, look at me, listen to me, listen to me. There's a lot of that. There's yeah. a lot of like there's a lot of woe is me. Mm. There's a lot of that. You talk to actors and probably the first thing that you're going to hear out of their mouths in 20 seconds is how bad things are. Yeah. I'm not working. I'm this, uh, I haven't blah, auditioned blah, blah. In I long haven't time. auditioned. I'm in between gigs. Something. It's just not what I asked to do. <laughs> I asked an actor, a fellow actor once. I won't, he will remain nameless. Okay. Tell me after. <laughs> <laughs> I asked him. I was like, yo, how you doing? And I was asking a question about him. Yeah. And he proceeded to tell me about the three things that he booked. Uh, that was the first response. Yeah. It wasn't like, oh, yeah, my girlfriend's doing well and my my parents are... No. Yeah. The first thing he proceeded to tell me was his resume. That was... That was how he was doing. That's tough, though. Like in this kind of in in the acting game, right? When your self worth can get tied up with, you know, the the auditions you're doing and what's landing. And yeah. do, I mean, I I mean we. We had mutual friend Darren Shalabi. Yeah. That was like some of the first conversations oh, yeah. I ever had with Darren. Yeah. Where you know, like, were this the focus on like is is his phone ringing and like when like how many auditions he's getting yeah, and man. how many callbacks he's getting and it, it's just it it, 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 it yeah. the toll it took crazy. on his spirit yeah. right. Yeah. So it'll beat you down. It'll beat you down. It is. It, there's a reason why I I do enjoy how difficult it is for this industry to work and. How difficult it is to be an entertainer because you you got to be tough. Yeah. You got you to get to it, to get through it, to last. You got to be tough. Yeah. You, it can't just be luck. You have to have a skill set, and you have to develop that skill set, and to last and keep your mental health in in intact. You gotta be tough. I mean, the good thing is that we're talking about mental health more. I mean, uh, Eden and Ray Adams and I did a whole episode last season where we just talked about our own mental health challenges and the special challenges faced by people in this in this industry. But you know, tell me a bit more about being tough. Like, do you think that's something that is it a fake it till you make it thing? Is is it a is it being in tune with your needs and asking for help? Like, what is it? Is it something that you can Um, just? Pull on to yourself. Yeah, I'm I, tough now. I know that. <laughs> again, that West Indian upbringing, and I, I, I honestly believe that this does hold true for maybe a particular time 
of upbringing mm. rather than to a particular kind of you know uh, subset of of of, uh, of of races as far as like i would always say if you were ethnic you had a tougher upbringing than if you weren't that was always something that it just seemed to ring true oh yeah in that in that <laughs> i would go over to my white friends places and hear how they talk to their parents oh <laughs> see what i'm saying look at that i don't even have to even finish this sentence oh man because if you immigrant are parents ethnic, they will not. kill yeah. you <laughs> like hey man did you have another brother yeah i did and <laughs> He let, the slipper you know just starts coming off. He let he let Canada get to to seep into his blood a little too much. Now he's gone because mm. they got rid of him. No, um, <laughs> you you no no yeah. man. Immigrant parents, they will put you in check and keep you in check for your whole life. So so, um, I I feel like it's a leg up dealing with people who are judging you, dealing mm. with people who are now critiquing you. Because, again, immigrant parents, yo, they tell you straight up. They'll be like, that wasn't good. If I came home with a 98% on a test, you know what this, You know what I heard? What happened to the other 2%? Thank you very much. Thank you very much, ladies Tip and gentlemen. Tip your waiters. Exactly. On your way out. Honestly, that was the deal. That's yeah. what we hear all the time. Things were never good enough. Yeah. Because so much of the emphasis was placed on Academics, academics, you had to like be better than them. And the one way out that immigrant families can see that you have is your brain. Oh, yeah. Your schooling will put you in a better position than the people that they know are going to get preferential treatment. Your parents know this. They yes. lived it. So they're stressing. Dudes, dudes. So anyways. So. Uh, no, I got a question then. Mm -hmm. I told you that this interview we're gonna go we're gonna go all over the place. Mm -hmm. I do want to put a pin on um, racism and comedy though, because I do want to hear more about that. Yeah. But what is your what did do your immigrant what did your immigrant parents think about acting? Acting, especially <laughs> considering you you and your brother have yeah. both walked this path. Yes, yes. Fortunately for me, um, my older brother kicked the door down oh. long before I ever walked through it. <laughs> so. They were used to seeing, and my brother's very successful, um, yeah. so they were used to seeing him, you know, seeing him on television and seeing that it worked. But my brother is also very sensible, a lot more sensible than me, and he, he also did, you know, he went to, he did schooling and he always had a job. He always had a job outside of acting. Mm. Not me. I was like, <laughs> I'm going to do this and I'm going to crash and burn doing this. Yeah. I'm going to do this and if you're all or nothing work, guy. I'm all or nothing. Yeah. That is me. I'm all or nothing. I can't go half how, how can you go halfway? Can't go halfway. So <laughs> this is very interesting because this conversation that I have with my father literally took place a week before my I spy audition when I met Darren. So my father and so my mother had passed away some years before this. Mm -hmm. My mother passed away in 97, and this audition for I Spy, it came about in uh, uh, July 2001. And so my dad, again, kind of typical, you know, West Indian father, work, 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 and more work. Found out about his children through my mother. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. he's in the house, but he's going to work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, like, like, yeah. 
There's a joke that a comedian that I listen to or love, uh, Sebastian Maniscalco, has about his immigrant father. He's Italian, and he has about his immigrant father. He says, I didn't formally meet my father until I was 18. He came up to me and said, hey, how you doing? I'm your father. (laughs) 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 I'm the one that keeps the clothes on your back and food in your belly. That is so true. Oh, my gosh. They work, 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 work. I'm not saying, I'm not even, even alluding to the fact that other parents of that who are not ethnic don't have to work, but it's it's stressed so much in their house and in immigrant families. Anyway, so well, they have come from afar. It comes from know? somewhere else. They have they have something to prove to themselves exactly. to this feeling that they have to prove something to their to the new country. Exactly. No, exactly. Something else is going on. Yeah. So, so my father, who had become mother and father, mm. which is a different role for him to take on he, you know now so now he's checking in on auditions and stuff like that never checked in on auditions before that's not his thing my mom would do that so <clears throat> he's, he's checking in with me and he's like you know I, I always thought you would add something to fall back on you know my father was a pipe fitter so he worked with his hands a very brilliant man wow very brilliant man smart smart man great with could build anything that's tough work yeah yeah and and you know, this is the job that brought us here. And he's like, I always thought you'd follow in my footsteps and do this. And uh, I'm okay with my hands. I did mechanics and stuff in school. And and uh, I was like, no, man, I'm an entertainer. So, so my father's like, well, your brother has something to fall back on. Why don't you? And I was like, well, because I feel like if I get something to fall back on, I'm going to fall back on it. Mm. So I don't want to have anything. I don't want to have the safety net. I gotta go for it. And he's like, that's not smart. You need to go out there and, you know, back up and all this stuff. <clears throat> and we get into it. And it's an argument. It's an actual argument. Because he's, you know, again, as a parent now, I understand. He's just worried. Yeah. But he can't express that he's worried because he's a West Indian parent from 19. You know, he's born in 1936. They're not talking about their feelings. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. He's born in 36. He ain't going to tell me that he's scared about what's going to happen to me. He's just telling me what to do. Yeah. <clears throat> so. Again, we get into it, and he's arguing, you should do this, and you should listen to me. I don't know why you don't listen to me, all this stuff. <clears throat> and I'm like, it's not about you. It's not about you. Yeah. And I start to tell him, I'm like, look, our lives are completely different. I said, you're making a decision on the other side based on your own fears about what might have happened to you had you tried to do what I do. I said, but you had to make different decisions based on the fact that you had kids. You had a wife. You had a different kind of thing that you were doing. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't have a wife or kids. This is at the time. Yeah. I don't have, <laughs> I don't have a wife or kids. I don't. I, I was with my, my, my wife, who was then my girlfriend, because um, we've been together for. Forever. We've been together for, we've been together for 27 years. Wow. Coming up, come February, coming up. And uh, love you, Davina. Uh, and. Um, <laughs> And, he, and I say to him, I said, look, you made different choices based on the fact that you had kids to support. Because I have half-sisters who are older. And so my, my dad was married before. And he you know, got married young, had kids young, as you do when you're born in 1936. That's what yeah. you do. <laughs> so, so I'm like, this is what you had to do. You did what you had to do. I am doing what I want to do. Mm. And, he, and he's like... Still arguing. He's not seeing my point. So I say to him, I say, all right, let me ask you a question. What would you have been 
if you didn't have a wife and kids, what would you have done with yourself if, if, if you didn't have that responsibility? What did you want to do? And he was quiet. He was quiet for like 10 seconds. And then he's like, I would have become a professional gambler. And I said, what do you think I do for a living? Because that's all I do as an <sighs> actor. I am a professional gambler. I go out, play my hand. It works or it doesn't. That's what I do. Yeah. When I win, <laughs> I win. When I lose, I lose. But I'm a professional gambler. What a way to put it. That And I threw it right. It was perfect. And it did was, it land? Like, oh, it landed. Yeah. It landed. Landed me out of the house. No. I'm just, <laughs> <laughs> just playing. Punchline. Yeah, exactly. Get out. No. Uh, no. He, he, it, it landed. And I said, maybe you don't respect the choices that your son makes now. Mm. But maybe one day you'll respect that your son sticks to his guns. Oof. And a week later, I spy came along. <sighs> That's the deal. So, wow. So, you okay. know, yeah. That's, That's amazing. That's the story. That it, I want to revisit your bio. I think storyteller more than entertainer in some well, ways. Storyteller is because you know, of my father. It's because of my father. You know, because it's like I, I am, I'm do, you're doing more than entertaining me. <laughs> you're telling, you are, you are moving me in a very profound way. Um, mm. We're going to take a break mm -hmm. because we have to, mm -hmm. because we have wonderful sponsors who are keeping the lights on here. When we come back, I am going to pick up what I put down about uh, your comedy and about uh, that world uh, that you did move through. And then I want to talk about some of the specific roles because we would be remiss if we didn't talk about uh, the Rowdy Three. <laughs> and uh, I want to talk about about uh, Fincher Garland and that whole, that whole world mm -hmm. as well because it's awesome. It is. <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome. And I've, I mean, I've had a chance to kind of like look at the fan bases as well, you know, and both, like both uh, Dirk Gently... What, are they called like? Just say Dirk. That's all. Dirk. <laughs> yeah, Dirk Gently, solicit detective. Say. Oh, yeah, so yeah. you. We just say Dirk. Yeah, Dirk. But well, what are the fans called? Dirk, uh, Dirk heads. Do I, what are the? Well, there's um. There's a lot. Well, I mean, I know that that the Rowdy Three specifically have their own yeah. fans as well, and um, and and so, like I mean, and then there's like the Juggernaut Hallmark Channel fans as yeah. well, which are just amazing. We have a lot of respect for them here. So let's talk about all of that. Sounds good. When we come back from our break. How's that for a cliffhanger? Hiring professional performers makes all the difference to the success of any recorded media project. Did you know that the Union of BC Performers, ACTRA, provides agreements for all budgets and types of productions, including commercials, TV series and movies, feature films, from big budget to Canadian indies and student films, animation series, video games, web series, and even streaming video on demand, like Netflix? For instance, our highly successful UBCP ACTRA Ultra Low Budget Agreement encourages and facilitates artistic collaboration between professional performers and independent producers who wish to produce very low budget or even no budget productions. No matter what your budget, we've got you covered and you too can benefit from UBCP ACTRA's award-winning world-class performers. So, if you need actors, voiceover artists, stunt coordinators, stunt performers, singers, dancers, puppeteers, stand-ins, background performers, ranging across any age or demographic, then just contact us at UBCP ACTRA. Make your project the very best that it can be. 
This message was read by a UBCP ACTRA member. Go to ubcp.com for more information. Viv has a lozenge. Now. I have a lozenge. Now. I should have like a container of <laughs> mints or lozenges on the on this table. Um, I thought water would be enough. No, but, water's good, but you know, but everybody else talks more than I do, which is kind of the way it's supposed to be. So I should have like. <laughs> You know, maybe like a big like honey thing, mm. jar of honey, mm-hmm. and yep, yes. take this. You know, yeah. <laughs> my throat is—I don't know what's it's, it's to the sound. change of seasons that's as what, well, and we're both said. parents. Yes, kids bring germs. Bring, uh, well, you know, we live in petri dishes because yeah. we have kids. They're so great. I mean, they're beautiful and life affirming. <laughs> Love them. They're little miracles, but they're disgusting. <laughs> and it's autumn, so they're oh, just yeah. bringing everything back. First thing they walk in, go wash, go wash your hands. <laughs> don't even, don't even, don't but even. But I want to give you a kiss, no, mommy. Oh hell no! I don't know you. <laughs> I don't know you. And Not until you watch friends come over. I'm like, yo, what's up with your face, man? <laughs> I have children. Okay. Yeah. Um, can we can we just talk for a second about about your your time in stand up? Like, what mm-hmm. what kind of a how would you describe the comedy that you did when you were doing the circuit? You know, it was actually uh, <clears throat> it was a it was a harder time because. Um, you walk away from acting because it's walked, hot. <laughs> yeah, I walked away from acting because I was disillusioned with yeah. the world. With yeah, the demoralized. Yeah, I, yeah. Was, I was. I was like, you know, and there's this thing that I don't know that I love as much as I love just yet. Mm. I didn't know. Yeah. So now I'm going towards the thing that I, I believe I am a lot more than that thing that I walked away from. Yeah. And the thing you walked away from was the thing that everybody else said, that's you. That's what you should do. Yeah. Okay. And I'm like, no, I'm going to do this. Yeah. Interestingly enough, and this is something I know from having kids now. Mm. Kids like to do the stuff that they can do well. Yeah. That's what kids like to do. They don't like to do the things that they can't do well. Well, the stuff that they can do well right away. Yes. Yeah. Yes, because, of course, they can learn to do something amazingly well, but if it's hard work. <sighs> not to say they don't want to do hard work or won't put in hard work. But they want to do the things that they can do well right away. Yeah, they want to shine right they away. They want to shine. Yeah. They want to shine because they look at you and you're like, oh my God, this is amazing. And then they're happy because they made you happy. And that was the thing with me and stand-up. And you said something interesting about you can add storyteller to you kind of, you know, package. <laughs> all the words that you use to describe yourself. Because... When I think about it, that is actually my first love. Yeah. Storytelling. Because my father is one of the best storytellers I've ever seen. And my father should have been an entertainer. Yeah. My father's an amazing dancer. My father's an amazing uh, comedian, amazing storyteller. He's a, And he's a super smart man. Yeah. He's a handsome dude. I mean, look at me. Oh, <laughs> you can't see me. Um, they will. We will post a photo of you on our Instagram. Oh, great. So you know what my father looks like a long time ago. Um, I remember you talking about your father, like, holding court and yes. telling stories, yes. you know, in rooms full of people. My dad held court at my mother's funeral. Wow. My father, now, not 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 initially. He had a hard time initially with, with, with trying to, like, be that guy, but... When we went back to our place after the service, yeah, my father's upstairs, you know, and like entertaining this crowd. It yeah. was amazing. Healing and through storytelling, yeah. healing himself, healing yes, others. Definitely, yeah. definitely. All the stuff that we laugh about, all the jokes that we you know tell about each other. That's what he was doing, and uh, 
Yeah, so so now I'm so now I'm 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 looking at the fact that I'm I wanted to go do stand up. And it's something that when you wanna do, you gotta do it. Like right now, I wanna go do stand up. Like right now, today. <laughs> <laughs> today. I'm gonna go. No, it's been it's been it's been in me it's been like it's something that I've been thinking about getting back to for a long really long time. yeah but it's, oh will you call me i would love I, to i go. will it's it's a very <laughs> daunting thing and it's actually an interesting conversation i had with eddie murphy about doing stand-up when we <laughs> sorry together, that's a cool flex i had a conversation yeah with i eddie talked murphy. to eddie murphy about stand-up <laughs> um <laughs> i mean if you're gonna that's flex like that's a good one <laughs> i know it's, I, anytime i'm talking about eddie uh, I always feel like I'm name dropping, but I'm like, I gotta tell these stories. This is, I, I'm even like, this is amazing. Yeah. So, um, I asked him when I worked with him, I said, are you ever gonna do stand-up again? And he was married at the time. Uh, married with a lot of young kids. So many young children. A lot children. of young kids yeah. at the time. And he said, this is such an interesting thing that he said. He said, he said, well, I can't, I can't, I can't do stand-up based on who I am and based on what I live with now. It's like I can't do stand-up because because I have I have young kids that are going to be like affected by what I say, what I mm. put out in the world. It's going to come and land on these kids. Is it's not fair? He says, "What am I talking about? My wife and kids?" He goes, "What? I'm not Bill Cosby." And he's like, <laughs> <laughs> "Yeah." <laughs> I'm like I'm. A, I hope not. <laughs> I didn't see that back then. Yeah. But, well. I mean, God. Good God. And so, <sighs> so that was his thing. His thing was he couldn't do his brand of comedy because you have to get up there and tell the truth. You have to, like if you listen to all Eddie's comedy, Eddie, Eddie's just telling you exactly who he is. Yeah. He's not holding back. He's telling you who he is. He's crafted in the jokes, but he's just telling you exactly who he is. That is the thing that I had a problem with doing stand-up. I had a problem early on finding my voice because uh. it was it was such a specific thing. In the U.S. for a while, grew up mostly in Canada. Didn't have to deal with a lot of the things that like my cousins and relatives in the U.S. had to deal with, but kind of did, but kind of didn't, and it's like everything was kind of lukewarm. Nothing was, nothing was like extreme. Extreme. Nothing was extreme. Yeah. It was just kind of like I was kind of just like I said before, I was just walking between the raindrops. Just like nothing really was landing, so I wasn't walking around with a lot of experiences, and so I just it was hard for me to find my particular brand until I did, which is really just, I am a situational comic more than I am a guy who can just sit there and write jokes. Oh, you put okay. me in a situation, I will say something funny. Okay. To write them all out and blah, 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 that's, it's very difficult for me. If you give me a list of jokes to say, I'll tell you which one's the funniest, but I, I, I don't have that same skill set to then develop the material myself I have to record myself I have to walk around with a tape recorder yeah because that's how my brain works it doesn't work in that thing where I'm like oh hey that's funny and I can just start writing it out no 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 no. I gotta do it and then I can go oh that was funny I, yeah. I've gotta know I, I can catch a bit in the middle of doing a bit 
but I, I don't know it's a bit as I start. I just get there. And yeah. I'm like, oh, this is a bit. This is funny. My brother and I, my brother would help me write stuff because I would invariably, if, if I get frustrated about something, something funny is going to come out of my mouth. That's how mm. I work. Yeah. And so I was trying to find my voice, and I finally did. I finally kind of got a hang of it. But by that time, acting came calling. Yeah. And acting just kind of took off. And, um, and and you've had incredible roles. Uh, I do want to spend a little bit of time talking about um, the two roles that I talked mm -hmm. about before. Uh, mm -hmm. One being, and I'm going to say it this time, <laughs> uh, grips on uh, Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency, where mm -hmm. you got to play with other incredible actors in our I mean we're talking Z Zach Santiago yep. we're talking Michael Mikey Eklund and yep. we're talking Osric Chow yep. you know where where you guys played like energy sucking vampires which I mean I'm guessing that's not the kind of role that you would have even have read for you know at the beginning of of your <laughs> no. your career then you know like so tell me about like what 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 some of the fun that you that you had and what you got out of doing that particular show yeah that 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 was the um, that was an amazing show to work on, and um, you know I got brothers for life from brothers and sisters for life from working on that show. But like you know Zach and Osric and Mikey, I mean yeah we are the rowdy three man like that's my family and um, it was it was so funny and so physical <laughs> and so like. I don't know. There's like an audacity to it as mm -hmm. well. Like I guess I was I was excited to see you it, it, on that show and in that role because I don't associate you with being that guy. Yeah, I'm you not. Know? I'm not grips. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> but um, <laughs> it was. First of all, this is the thing. I walked into that audition, and uh, the casting directors. It was Jackie Lynn's uh, casting. Okay. Yeah. So shout out to Jackie Lynn. But. But really, I want to say, and I've said this a few times in different places, a big shout out to Anne-Marie DeLuise. Because <gasps> Anne-Marie was assisting uh, casting at the time. Yeah, with Jackie. With Jackie. Yeah. And Anne-Marie was, was in the room when I decided that I was going to do something. I thought of something on the way over to the audition. Now... Grips was described as a mountain of a man, and I'm I'm not a mountain of a guy for sure. Uh, not on any day of my life have I been a mountain. Maybe when I was three, I was a big kid, but a mountain, a mountain of a man. Of a man, definitely not. I don't know, like who I would describe. I guess maybe Ponovic would be like the one guy. Yeah, that, <laughs> He's hear, the mountain of a yeah, man. <laughs> you hear mountain of a man, you think of You're Alex, like, so, Alex yeah, Ponovic. Alex you talking about Alex? Yeah. <laughs> so, and that's who I saw when I went to the audition. So there's Alex, right? Yeah. A bunch of all the big dudes in town were there. So I was like, well, I kind of don't have a shot at out mountaining. <laughs> Alex Ponovic, <laughs> that's not gonna happen. Alex, the mountain Ponovic. The mountain Ponovic. So, so I'm sure his. I know his name comes up so much when you. Honestly, <laughs> everybody Always. says Mike. Mike. Everyone says Mike Dopud. Yeah. Everyone says Alex Ponovic. Mm -hmm. Um. Peter Deleuze. Peter Deleuze. And Marie Deleuze. Yeah. People's his names that come up. Um. So. No, but I think Ponovic's name comes up more than people just like. People just like to say Ponovic. Yeah. That's why. 
Don't you just love to say that? Oh, uh, so <laughs> is that why he's so busy? That's why. Because people like saying his name. Yeah, it's like salsa. Everyone likes to say salsa. So salsa, salsa. So, so I walked in and I was like, and on the way over, I thought of this idea. I was like, I'm gonna do this whole audition cross-eyed. I'm gonna be cross-eyed when I do this audition because I was like, this dude, these dudes are crazy. Yeah. So. Maybe that's the deal. I'm gonna be cross-eyed. So I started the audition with my sunglasses on, and then at some he's point he's putting his sunglasses on. I took them off and I was cross-eyed, but I didn't do it right away. First time I did this, first time I did the audition, I did it. And I wasn't cross-eyed. I did it yeah. normally. And I, very high energy, very rowdy three-ish, and 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 everybody thought it was great. And this was just with casting. It wasn't with the powers that be. And I was about to leave, and I was like, you know, I, I thought of this idea on the way over, and I, I was like, I, I, I think I should do it. I'm like, ah, but I don't know, maybe it's a little too much. And Anne-Marie was like, what? Just do it. Just do it. She didn't know what it was. Yeah. And she's like, what, what is it? I'm like, I'll just show you. <laughs> and so I did it again. Started with my sunglasses on, I took the sunglasses off, and now I'm cross-eyed. Oh. Doing the same lines, but now I'm cross-eyed. And I don't know, I just put it out in the universe. I'm like, this this show's off the wall, that audition was off the wall, let's see what sticks. And I get a call from my agent, like a couple days later, she's like, they wanna see your demo tape for for Dirk. I'm like. Oh, okay. And my, my demo tape's mostly comedic roles. Yeah. So I was like, okay, cool. There's a couple of physical roles in there, but I was like, oh, I don't, I'm not like, form, I'm not formidable in a lot of this stuff. You don't see me throwing people around and stuff like that. Yeah. So I was like, okay, send out the, put out the, uh, the, the demo tape. And then literally the next day, she, she calls me up. She's like, you, you got the part. What? She's like, you got the part. And I was blown away because. The first thing, this is the funniest, this is the funniest bit. The first thing that I thought was, oh my God, I'm gonna have to do this whole season cross. <laughs> that was the first thought I had outside of like, oh, that's a nice you contract. Like migraines oh and my stuff gosh, all the yeah, time. When I did the audition, when I was done, I was like, oh man, it hurts. It hurts to be cross-eyed like that. And, uh, <clears throat> and um, that was my first thing I thought. I was like, that's a great contract. I like that. <laughs> and then I'm, I'm gonna probably go cross-eyed doing the show. Yeah. Fortunately, thank God, uh, I didn't. I didn't have to do. Yeah. I didn't have to be cross-eyed. I, I did it. in one scene just to just to the first. Just little, to show that. Just you, to show a little, yeah. little callback to yeah. the audition. But I didn't have to do it in the show. And Anne Marie gave you the confidence and the go-ahead to do yeah, it. Yeah, she just yeah. was like, she just was like, you know, she gets it. She's an actor, right? So she's yeah. like, yeah, just do it, just do it. I mean, they had seen so many people and so many different versions of. They had seen so many people that they were like, yo, it couldn't hurt. Just, yeah. just do it. So yeah, that was the thing. I think that informed the universe that I was stepping into. Yeah, and we had a lot of fun. We we uh, yo the 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 laughter between these guys if you when you watch it is real. That's us laughing our asses. Well, because you guys man. got to let loose as well, destroy things. Like it would be like you guys would like almost be felt 
yep. approaching, yep. you know, before you There's actually... Trouble. You feel yeah. it's coming, yeah. Ooh, I love it. I yeah. love it. And then it's just such an interesting way that we worked as actors together because um, Santiago, Sac <laughs> Santiago, I, I like to pride myself on being a scene stealer, but nobody steals scenes like <laughs> Like Zach Santiago, <laughs> oh my God. I would go watch, <clears throat> I would go have to do ADR for the show. And I wouldn't even know that Zach was doing something so crazy beside me. <laughs> I had no clue <laughs> that he was doing this. Because all our characters are scene stealers. Yeah. Literally, if you want to describe the Rowdy Three, take every scene stealer from every movie you've ever seen, put them together as a, as a quartet. That, In a van. In the van. That's the Rowdy Three. That's yeah. us. We're all able to pull focus at one point or another. And then you put us together, it's insane. Yeah, that's why it's such a joy, really, so to, to watch. Um, I, okay, peek behind the curtain. I know you have an appointment coming up soon. How you know? Because <laughs> you told me. You told me. So uh, before I let you go, I do, we cannot have you here and not talk for even a second about 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 Kelly Martin, about Fincher Garland, about Haley Dean. Like yeah. we need to talk about that because it looks like you are having a lot of fun. Yes, you know as well. So t- tell me about the like uh, t- what what is fun <laughs> about about the work that you're doing right yeah. now um, in the Hallmark universe. Yeah, you know, because um, you're getting a lot of love as well. Yeah, I see it's, the fans it's, love the, the, fan, you. the fan base are are incredible. And extremely supportive, and and really touching because of, of I've oh man I found out this is this is how amazing the the Hallmark universe is to kind of be a part of. So my wife's best friend uh, all through high school. I knew her, and I met my wife in the eighth grade. Yeah, right. And and I and so I met eighth her, grade. Eighth grade, first week of the eighth grade, I met my wife. Aww. Yeah, that's right. So, so <laughs> you have like hard emoticons all around <laughs> you right now. <laughs> so much love. So, so much love. So, her best friend Melinda, um, um, just got married uh, in the summer, and Melinda's husband, uh, Nigel or Eddie, he's from the Caribbean, so he's got a bunch of nicknames. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, oh, South Asians are like you, that you know too. Yeah. My wife's Filipino, so she's got everybody's. Got oh my gosh! Oh, yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. all of Paul's titas have so there many different kinds. Right? Of, yeah. What's his name when he was six? <laughs> oh, Paul was PJ. PJ. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Everybody's got nicknames. Paul's mom is Tita Tits. There you go. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. Yes, my wife's name is Davina, but she's Bina. Bina. Of, of course. That's her nickname. <laughs> um, and uh, and I'm Bibs. Bibs. <laughs> Obviously. Yes. So. So we were out to dinner with, with, with Nigel and Melinda the other night. And, and he says, I got to tell you, man, um, I'm a big fan of Haley Dean, the Haley Dean Mysteries. And I was like, oh, that's cool. He's like, no, 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 you don't understand. He's like, I went through a pretty tough time a couple of years ago. And watching your show got me through. He's like... So, so he, he's he's from Jamaica, and and he's a, sli- a little he's a couple years older than me, and it was kind of his experience, just like mine, where you didn't quite see yourself represented on screen, 
very much yeah through your life especially your early days if you are you know in your 40s and up you just didn't yeah and um and so he was like his i remember he's like, i started watching this show because <clears throat> he likes mystery shows and he's like i came across your character and i was so happy that he was so intelligent and he was so you know he was so good at what he did and and that the character you play opposite kelly martin is her friend and their friendship is the thing that shines through their friendship is actually the core relationship of the show yeah and uh, unlike a lot of the other shows where there's usually like a love interest a romance, thing going yeah. on, that that's not what's going on with fincher and Haley, they love each other, but they love each other like you love your brother and your sister, the kind of thing. Yeah. And and he was, so Nigel was so happy about seeing someone that looked like himself represented in such a way. He said it really helped him get through this really hard time. And he was like, I didn't know you were you when I met you. And he said, when I met you, he leaned over to Melinda. He was like, he looks so familiar. And she's like, oh yeah, he's an actor. And then he said, he, <laughs> I remember this moment when I think back to meeting him, because I yeah. remember things like, I remember seeing him just kind of get it. Because we walked past, they were at our house, and they they walked past like my hat rack, and I had you know the Fincher Garland hat yeah. hanging there. And he kind of saw it, and he looked at me, and I just kind of saw him putting something together. And I saw him have that moment when he realized it was me and kind of thing. And, and, and yeah, he expressed that to me the other night. And um, that's why I do this thing. That's why I that's do, that's why I do so this. That's so moving. Wow. I, I, I do what I do, entertain, because there are people out in the world who might be having a hard time, might be having a hard go, might need a bit of a reprieve from whatever they're dealing with. Not to say that I don't deal with stuff, I do. But I'm one of the lucky people that gets to kind of go out and put out content that someone can use to just take a break. Just let off the gas for a couple minutes, for an hour, for two, whatever. Whatever it is, that's what this stuff is. This is why I'll never ever you know, have an ego about what I do because we are in service to the people who are really, really running things. They're really, really out there trying to make, you know, the world a better place and really trying to make sure that we have something, you know, that we have a, an infrastructure, that we have people that heal people, people that fix things, people that build things, people that do all types of things. Not to say actors can't do that, but we're tasked to do something else. Yeah, something very specific. Right? Entertainers and are tasked yeah. to do something else. That's our job. Our job is to help people have a break. Yes. That's what I do. And That's you it. have done it here today. Thank you so much. Thank you for coming in today and being so generous with mm. your with your stories and uh, <laughs> and just your good energy. Where can our fans find you on social media? Oh, yes. Um, social media. It's, man, that's another thing that I'm like. <laughs> social media, is a, social media is, a, is, a, uh, is a great tool, but, uh, but uh, 
I could have I could have talked to you for another hour about how how it's a it's a it's very dangerous. Absolutely, it's it is very very dangerous. And uh, with my kids, I'm 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 pretty big on uh, my my daughter. I have a 13 year old daughter and um, two sons, 11 and a half and nine. And my daughter decided herself that she didn't want to be on social media. Wow. Yeah, she decided she didn't want to do it. And that's amazing. What informed that? Like just seeing what other her her friends were going through. I, I, I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure. I think my daughter is like is is a lot like uh, she's an old soul. Yeah. Yeah. And she like connects. She she connects to a lot of the stuff before man, and she just kind of like she likes stories too. She's a, she's a she's a storyteller. She's yeah. A, she's a, she's an actor as well, and. Um, I, I don't know. I think she just kind of saw that it's false. There's a there's a false kind of thing that could happen that can exist a lot of times when when all you see is the scrubbed clean images and the scrubbed clean mm. stories. It's yeah. just like no one's life is like that. Yeah, and yeah. Then, right? I mean, I've made a practice recently of because I was doing the highly curated of version course, of life, of and then I'm like, you know what? Then I feel like I'm a fraud. So not that I'm sitting there, you know, uh, tweeting out all the ugliness. Of course but, not. But, you know, but, but it's it makes me. It's been good for my mental health to be honest about, you know, my mental health issues or my so my real. husband's yeah. uh, health challenges of late. So. Where where can people find oh, you yes, though? Yes, you can find me on. <laughs> She's a storyteller. Yes, I'm sorry, I'm telling stuff. You can find me on Twitter. Uh, it's at Vivlycock, uh, and on uh, Instagram, same thing at Vivlycock. I make it simple for you to find me. And um, oh, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention. Speaking of comedy and storytellers. Uh, a show that I'm working on called Louder Milk. Yes. Yeah. Oh my god. Louder Milk is um I have some favorite favorite I have some favorite people on this planet, but um um Peter and Bobby Farrelly, particularly Peter, um might be top top ten favorite people in this world. He just um I just, I love that guy so much, man. He is um Amazing storyteller. Yeah. I love stories. This is what I've like come to realize, uh, you know, a lot in the last five six years. Storytellers. Yeah, I, those are the people that I love the most. Yeah, but you're a storyteller that loves to surround yourself with storytellers, yeah. and you know, it, it kind of reminds me of like maybe somewhere in our blood memory back in the. Many generations ago, yeah. where we didn't have social media, yep. we didn't have podcasting, and we just we just shared our stories, yep. Yep. you know, and that was how we how we kept our history and, yeah. and our mysteries. So I alive. love this medium because, uh, you know, not to say I didn't go back so far that I had just a radio in my house when I was a kid, but we listened to the radio. Yeah, I used to listen to stand, com uh, comedy uh, comedy on on you know vinyl. Yeah, that's how I heard our delirious on vinyl. You know, I saw yeah. Delirious. And then I, you know what I mean? Like, but all the stuff that we used to hear it and you use your imagination, you fill in the blanks and stuff like that. And yeah. that's why this is so good. This is so cool because you can imagine, you know, Sabrina and I sitting across from each other laughing. Yeah. <laughs> and we're going to do it again. Please yes. come back because we have a lot to, lot to talk about. Oh, I am going to get another mic in here and we can <laughs> have you in here with, uh, with, 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 with all Ponovic? sorts of your friends. Yeah, with Ponovic. <laughs> he really should just be here all the time, Hell you know. Yeah. Okay, but Alex, it's, it's a time where we're talking about you. Yeah, Alex, yeah. come on in. Man. Come on. Come on. Be mountainous. Man.
<laughs> All right, we got to go because you got an appointment. All right, to our listeners, thank you so much for spending this time with us. Please like, subscribe, leave us a review if you're so inclined. You can find us at www.yvrscreenscene.com. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram at YVR Screen Scene. The YVR Screen Scene podcast is hosted and executive produced by me. Sabrina Firmager and it's produced and edited by Simon Firmager we give spe- special thanks to Tyson Braddock and Paul Firmager we're family business for technical support and to Dane Develay for the original music YVR Screen Scene is a division of Fish Flight Entertainment join us next time for another deep dive into Vancouver's dynamic film and television scene and cut